0: Well, a number of years ago, as I was working on a um, chaplaincy requirement for my seminary degree, I was um, surprised uh, by what happened when I would go and pray with people before they would undergo some, sometimes some very complicated surgical procedures. Sometimes where there was almost uh, where there was high risk and other things, and uh, or people just gotten a bad diagnosis and other things. And I would offer, I would go in and talk to them, and I had to keep little records of my visits with the different people I visited. And and what struck me over and over again was I would ask them, what can I pray for? And I would assume they would pray about the diagnosis or they'd pray about the procedure or they'd want prayer for, you know, the doctors or nurses or things. And the vast majority of the time, that wasn't it. It was probably number two or three on the list. Number one would be a relationship with their spouse or a relationship with their kids or some other relationship in their lives. And I remember it was just so funny because I was just struck by this. It just happened over and over again. And I remember talking to the person who was the, the instructor in this chaplaincy course, who'd been a chaplain for years. And I said, Why do you think that they do that? And he said, Oh, they do that because what they want more than anything is they want hope. I mean, even if the procedure goes well, they're going home and. They need hope for their marriage, or they need hope for their kids, or they need hope for the future. And he said, John, when you pray with people, there's a healing that goes far beyond just the physical. Do you know that there are people all around us this Christmas, you may have come here today yourself, desperately needing hope. And praise God, this is what Christmas is all about. It's a wonderful message of hope. That's why we're starting a brand new series, what I Want, All I Want for Christmas, and we're starting with hope. And the reason we're doing that is, is that according to uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, when they did a survey of people who struggle with mental illness issues, uh, the vast majority of people said the hardest time of the year was the holidays. Rick Warren, the guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he also wrote another ser- another book uh, entitled, or a little study series called 40 Days of Hope. And for that series, he collected 10 common causes of hopelessness. And they're printed for you here at the bottom of your outline on the front page, and if you could get those out, I just want to talk about these because this, this is what a lot of people are dealing with during the holiday season, and, and, they, and they need hope, and so first of all, what I'd remind us of is that a lot of people feel alone or abandoned, and you could understand how that would be exacerbated or made worse during the Christmas time. I mean, if you're a thousand miles from the rest of the family at Christmas, I mean, everybody else is rocking around the Christmas tree, and I'm by myself watching The Grinch, Uh, sometimes life seems out of control. And the hustle and bustle of Christmas shopping, I mean, certainly seems out of control. can only magnify it. Uh, Lack of purpose. Why am I doing this? Why am I going through all this again? And especially if we're at a transitional stage in life, am I where I need to be? What's going on? And it just seems like, how do I even get, I don't have any Christmas spirit because I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. Overwhelming grief. This could be the first Christmas without mom. The first Christmas after the divorce. The first Christmas after I retired. And I don't have the purpose I used to have. And I'm I don't know. I don't I don't know what's going on. Lack of resources, money, or a job, or medicine, or food, whatever it would be that we're lacking. Well, you understand, Christmas, now not only do I need to pay my bills, i got to buy presents. I I can't afford it. It There's more of the whole idea of guilt or shame or regret. Oh, there's things I shouldn't have said, and now I'm going to go and get together with my family, and I've got to face my brother-in-law, and he's the one I offended. Oh, wounds from others. Maybe somebody offended me. How am I gonna deal with that? And Christmas brings it all to the front. Self-destructive habits or addictions. Mm, Christmas can make that worse. Because if I'm already lonely or if I'm already feeling pressure, oh, the addiction screams for more attention. And then there's fear and there's failure. I mean, you talk to people and they go, yeah, and then I'm supposed to say, Happy New Year, and I don't even like the way this year ended up, and I'm just, I don't have any hope for next year. Oh, and by the way, it's going to be cold, and it gets dark at 4.30. <laughs> I mean, we sit there and go, oh my goodness, this is, this is hard. Well, it's not even something that's brand new. At the top of that front page, you'll see point A in your outline. We live in a fallen world that desperately needs hope. These things are all true. We know people in these circumstances. We've been in a lot of these circumstances ourselves at different times. Some of them, we're right there right now. And we need hope. That's why we need the message of Christ at Christmas. Solomon knew this 2,000 years or 1,000 years before Christ was born. Excuse me, 1,000 years before Christ was born. This is what he wrote. He said, I also try to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I own large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, anything I wanted I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything that I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere." Oh, my goodness, there are so many people who found this to be true. They have been chasing and the, you know, running on the treadmill or running in the rat race, only to discover that if you win the rat race, it just means you're a fast rat. And you go, that's it? I mean, that's it? Or, as Paul writes in Romans 3, we can become hopeless because we realize just how desperately fallen our world is. No one is righteous, not even one. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. And the Internet is filled with stories that are just like that. I can't find meaning in collecting stuff, and everybody told me that was the most important thing. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. And I don't, think it does. I don't think that's true anymore. And sometimes we feel hopeless because people are so mean to us and we've been mean to others. And then finally, in Ecclesiastes 9.3, Solomon sums it up one more time. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That's why people aren't more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. Merry Christmas. I mean, sometimes when you read this, you go, how could the Bible have all these depressing verses in it? Because the Bible deals honestly with where we live, just like this list of 10 causes of hopelessness, just like that chaplain did in the hospital. He's saying, John, don't you understand? That's why it's so important you go in there because the surgeons and the doctors are going to minister to their bodies. We come in and pray with them because we're going to minister to their souls. When we pray to God, we give them hope. That's an issue of the heart. And the good news is, I'm not going to stop with the scriptures you have on the front page. If you open your outline up, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scriptures on those inner pages that will blow the door wide open on hope this Christmas season. So if you came here today and you needed some hope, you're about to get a truckload of it. In fact, the hardest thing I had, this is one of the hardest outlines I've ever had to put together because I had 42 scriptures that I wanted to use and I couldn't use them all. And some of you are going, thank you, John. I'd like to get out of here in a timely manner. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. The Bible is so filled with hope. The Christmas message is so filled with hope. You got to hear this. Will you have a word of prayer with me? Lord, I just thank you that your word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. Your word is a fountain of hope. Lord, I thank you that in this world, we don't have to depend on our own wits. We can depend on you. And Lord, when everything seems hopeless and dry and meaningless in this world, Lord, this world isn't our home anyway. And we trust in you. So, Lord, I pray that you will fill us with hope, and we will leave here in courage today. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Point B, Jesus came into our world to bring us hope. And I'm going to read that point B again, and this time I want to hear hallelujah after I finish it, okay? Jesus came into our world to bring us hope. Hallelujah. Thank you. Look at my servant. This is Matthew 12, quoting Isaiah. "Uh, Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations, and his name will be the hope of all the world. That's Jesus. Jesus is the hope of all the world. When John was talking about this, he said, The one who is the true light, Jesus, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I mean... This is the good news of Christmas that Jesus came into the world. He's full of love and un, he's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. He, he is the righteous one. And even though there's none of us who are righteous, Jesus is. And the great news is through a relationship with Him, we can change. In fact, that's the first life application here. Through a personal relationship with Jesus, we can be reborn and our lives can be filled with hope. If there's ever a time during the year when we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus, it's Christmas time. When there's so much hopelessness because people feel like they're the only ones missing out and everybody else is getting it right or they feel all this pressure that I have to keep up with everybody else, Jesus comes to rescue us from all of that. Because he loves us. And he is love. And he comes to give us new life. Ephesians 2, you lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. That was Paul. Here's Peter, 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Would you circle that? He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. I mean, the promise of Christmas isn't just that we'll get more stuff. Solomon said, that's not the point anyway. It doesn't satisfy. Or just that we'll try to fix ourselves because none of us are good. Paul was right. The point of Christmas is that we come to Christ and he gives us new birth. And the treasures that we have are stored in heaven. And he's the one who forgives us of our sins. And even though it is true that we're all going to die, we're not afraid of death because we have eternal life through Jesus. And that all begins, when we begin to understand this, that's when we begin to understand how important it is to have a relationship with him. And so if you are far away from Christ this Christmas, come to Jesus. That's why he came. The light of the world came into a dark world. The Savior of the world came to save us from our sins. He's our rescuer, our healer. He's the hope of the world. Now, that Next Life application, I want to hold on to for a second. So if you'd go to the top of that last page, I just want to remind us here that when we put our faith in Jesus, we're being confident. We can be confident that our hope is not misplaced. And this is terribly important. Because if you pin your hopes to something wrong, well then, you can be easily disappointed. Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And we use the word hope kind of casually like sometimes we'll even say things like this, well, I hope I win the lottery. Well, that's not the hope we're talking about here. The hope we're talking about is an earnest expectation and desire. It's a, the Bible tells us we can have a confident hope in the Lord. And when I say I hope I win the lottery, I mean like that last jackpot that that gal in South Carolina won a share of, that was $1.5 billion. The odds for winning that were 1 in 300 million Okay, if you're holding that out as your hope, you are 3 times 3 times more likely to be killed by a vending machine. Okay? <laughs> so, I mean that is statistically true. So, if you think to buy that lottery ticket is good, is your hope, don't buy a bag of chips from a vending machine. That's all I've got to say. But that's not the hope we're talking about. This isn't just wishing. Our hope is solid. In fact, the writer of Hebrews talked about this in Hebrews six, when the uh, people he's writing to were struggling with so much, and they saying, "Are we? Are you sure we put our hope in the right place?" He said, "Yes." And here's why: because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I'm going to share with you a number of promises in just a minute we have in God's Word. And it gives, these promises give us hope. God's Word gives us hope because God cannot lie. You can put your hope in somebody else and they can. And sometimes that's happened to us. With God, you don't ever have to worry about that. And so our hope then becomes like an anchor. I mean, you think about an anchor holding a boat in place in a terrible storm and... What's keeping it in place is that anchor holds and the boat won't be drifting out to sea no matter how strong the wind is or the waves. And that's the same with our hope. When we struggle through hard things in this world, our hope anchors us and we don't have to be afraid. The other reason I want to share with you, I'm going to give you 10 reasons to hope to counter all these 10 causes of hopelessness because Peter said, if somebody asks you about your Christian hope, Always be ready to explain it. And so if you run into any of these issues yourself or run into anybody during the holidays and you say, boy, I wish I had a word of hope to give them. John, can you give me a word? I'm going to give you 10. I told you, you're going to leave here chalk full of hope. Prepare to be hopeful. I'm telling you. This is amazing because when we meditate on God's word, God's word is is an anchor for our souls, and it changes our whole perspective on things. So first of all, in this world, people feel hopeless many times because they feel alone or abandoned. Well, here's some hope for you and me. God is always with me. I am never alone. Can we say that statement out loud together, please? God is always with me. I am never alone. I'm convinced, Paul wrote about this in Romans 8, I'm convinced nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. If that gives you hope this morning, would you say amen? I got more hope. Not only do we not have to worry about feeling alone or abandoned, if life seems out of control... God is always in control, and he promises to guide me. I mean, this is what's so great. And under each of these uh, references here, I'm not just giving you one verse. I'm giving you three or four. And if that's not enough, call me. I'll give you a bunch more. But this is why we run to the Lord, because his promises are sure, and he never lies. And so even when life seems out of control... Because we don't understand it, God understands it, and he promises to guide us. Listen to this amazing verse, Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. I mean, the picture is of a dad holding the hand of his little boy or his little girl who's just learning how to walk, and they're walking down a forest trail holding hands. And if there's a stump or a rock and the child trips... The dad picks them up so they don't fall. That's you and me. The Lord says, I'll hold you by the hand. I'll guide you. It's out of control to you. You don't know what's going on. I do. Hold to me. And so, even though life is messy, and even though, and the Bible acknowledges all this, but this isn't just wishing some blind optimism. Oh, there are no problems in life. The Bible says, yeah, there's lots of problems in life. Yeah, we will die. Yeah, if we try to find meaning and accumulating stuff, we won't find it. Yeah, we know all that. Good news. Never asked you to go that way anyway. Let's trust in the Lord. He'll guide us. If this brings you hope, would you say amen? Not only does God guide us, but God has plans and purposes for our life. And so, for our lives. And so, at times when I feel empty and I go, is there any reason I'm here? Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Some of you in this room need to hear that today. That God has a plan for your life. He made you. He loves you. You are not a mess up. You are not worthless. You are a precious child. Please receive that. Mm, so much hope. God comforts me in grief and promises eternal life to all who trust in him. Yeah, Solomon was right. We do die. But God not only promises eternal life that he'll be with us in heaven someday. He promises to walk us through the grief this day. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Oh, please embrace this. this is wor- these are words of hope for you and me. April Gray, who's involved in our church, um, recently uh, lost her father. He'd been battling with cancer uh, for a while and went in for a procedure and um, he passed away. I had a chance to spend some time with her and her family, and we prayed together. There are people who trust in the Lord. She and her whole family do. And I wanted you to hear from her how much it means to have hope because the Lord is with us. Would you watch the screens, please?
1: I'm a daddy's girl and so we've always had a close relationship and he was probably one of my best friends. You know, he would come to me and we would talk and share things and he would give advice and you know, that song, daddy's hands, there is love in daddy's hands. Well, there was firmness there too. He taught me right from wrong and, um, Raised me in a loving, godly home. Uh, Took me to church from nine months before I was born until (laughs) his dying day. You know, he was there with me, teaching me about God and his word. And um, he was a Mr. Fix It. Everything that broke at home, he knew how to fix it. He knew how to build things. And he took care of me left and right and would even cut my grass and vacuum my home when I was at work. So he just showed his love a lot through action but my dad was my rock. Dad had prostate cancer probably 30 years ago, and they did an operation and procedures, and that supposedly got cleared, but it was just enough that he would have to go back and get checked every year. Um, Sometimes you have to do chemo shots and things of that nature. So five years ago, dad went in for one of those tests and to try to follow up, and they found something. They found a new kind of cancer, multiple myeloma. So that's when our battle began. he, he went through a lot of different things, the chemo not working, it causing other sicknesses, other illnesses. Uh, but through it all, uh, his verse was this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. Uh, he got tired. You knew he got tired, but he knew that was God's will for him. And he was a valiant warrior and um, continued to fight. So I think there's a couple different kinds of hope. Um, there's the hope that you have that you know your team wins the game or that you pass the test that comes through. And that's kind of a hope that has a question mark at the end of it. But the hope that I've been experiencing of late um, in the light of what happened with dad is that confident hope and belief that God loves me and that he loved my dad. and. I'm very blessed to have had my dad. He taught me all about my father's love through his actions, through his words. He taught me the scripture through advice. You'd ask him for advice, and he'd quote scripture. And, well, I know one of the last things he told me um, before we walked out, We some of the pastors were there and praying over Daddy right before the surgery. And uh, right before I walked out, I gave him a kiss, and he said, Don't worry, April. And he said, It'll be okay either way. I'll see you on the other side. So that's what hope is about. You know, you hope God will heal him here, but you have a confident hope that even if he doesn't, he's up there celebrating and no more no longer in pain and praising God and with his family and friends and that we'll see him again one day.
0: It's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's what she's talking about. My friends, this is the hope we have through Jesus. God will provide for all of our needs. Jesus said so, Matthew six thirty three: seek the kingdom of God above all else live righteously, and He'll give you everything you need. I mean, we don't have enough. Who do we turn to? We turn to the Lord. God forgives all of our sins and remembers them no more. Some of you need to find this verse in your Bible, and you need to circle it, star it. You need to write it on a 3 by 5 card, attach it to your um, dashboard of your car. You need to put it on the refrigerator, and you need to say this over and over again, because sometimes we just believe that God is secretly harboring this secret account. Yeah, I know that he says he forgives me, but not really. I mean, he still knows what a mess up I am. Listen to this marvelous hope that God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. I, yes, I alone, this is Isaiah 43, 25, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Man, we can beat ourselves up. The Lord's forgiven us for this stuff. And we're, and the devil tempts us. Oh, God won't forgive you. He won't forgive you. That is a lie. I will blot out your sins for my own sake. I'll never think of them again. Embrace this. This is hope. There's hope of forgiveness. There's hope of a right relationship with a God who loves us, cleans us up, and never remembers our sins again. God gives us the power Uh, He heals our wounds and enables us to forgive others. He heals our wounds and enables us to forgive others. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. When we embrace God's forgiveness and how much he's forgiven us, as we embrace that and, and come to terms with that, well, then that fills our lives with joy, and all of a sudden we find ourselves able to forgive others. And this is one of the greatest joys about embracing God's grace. Because as we meditate on it and realize, all my sins are forgiven. My soul's washed clean. Well, I want to spread this as far as I can. How on earth, then, can I hold any grudges against others? There's so much hope here. And the next one, he gives us the power to change, to overcome sinful habits. Remember, the things that make us hopeless are how we sabotage ourselves with habits we can't overcome. I met with somebody just last week, 20 years sober. I said, how'd you do it? And they said, oh, I didn't do it. They had gotten involved in AA, and they had surrendered their life to Jesus, and they said, the Lord changed me. I said, I didn't do it on my own. They said, that was the key thing. I needed to admit that I couldn't conquer it on my own. And when I surrendered my sin and my addiction to Jesus, and I got the help I needed... God changed me. Will he change you too? Yep. Philippians 2.13, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Read this verse out loud with me, please. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. My goodness. So much hope. God is bigger than all my fears. Psalm 27, David meditated on this. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? I mean, the Lord is living in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The Lord has forgiven all my sins, and he remembers them no more. The Lord promises to provide for my needs. The Lord promises to guide me along the best pathway for my life. The Lord has plans for my life even when I don't understand them yet. And the Lord is the one who's always with me. I'm never alone. So why should I be afraid? Afraid of what? My friends, this is hope. And God can use even the failures in my life for good. Seriously? Seriously. Paul, 2 Corinthians 1.4. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they're troubled. We'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So even when the things go south in my life, even when everything went sideways, however you want to express it, if we surrender that to the Lord, the Lord can even use that for good. It's amazing. And I read all these scriptures to you, and like I said, I'll give you more if you need them. You can go home and look all these up. But here's why we did all that, Romans 15, 4. The Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. This is why we read the Bible every week here. Because hope is an attitude of the heart. It's the great expectation. Scripture feeds our hope. If you haven't spent time in God's Word lately, spend time meditating on these promises I've given you. God never lies And your life will begin to change. You'll begin to be filled with hope. This was Paul's prayer here, Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole idea of this whole message, is to help you and I gain so much hope that we overflow. To give us things to say and to give reasons for our hope. And that brings us to that last life application, if I could take you back to that real quick. Some of you here have been Christians for a long time, and you understand, I understand, John, that a relationship with Jesus brings us hope. And I've had hope, but John, life's gotten hard. And I've been a Christian, I've been faithfully serving the Lord, and it's still hard. I have a word of hope for you too. And that's this, even when life is hard, believers must endure and not give up hope. If 2018 has been particularly difficult, then here are a couple of passages that are written especially for you. Paul talked about this in Romans 8 and Romans 5. Just like the scripture dealt honestly with other things, it deals honestly with this too that sometimes we get discouraged and we want to give up because life was harder than we thought. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he's promised us. Now, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. And Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, look, you're waiting for this. Well, the reason it's called hope is because it's something you don't have yet. Hang on a little bit longer. It won't be long till we're reunited with the loved ones who've gone before us. It won't be long till our time in this world is over and we'll have the brand new bodies God has promised us. Don't give up hope. In Romans 5, he also said, we also even rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. So even though we go through these hard times, we count on God shaping our character and causing us to trust in him more. So I want to have a word of prayer for us this morning. And then I've got something special for us to do here. But I want to pray, first of all, that if God spoke to you about something this morning, that you would embrace that, that word of hope. Gracious God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that at Christmas time we can remind ourselves why it's so important to embrace the notion that Jesus is the hope of the world. If the Lord spoke to you today about something, maybe it's fear, or maybe it's an addiction that you've had a hard time overcoming, or maybe you can't believe that God has actually forgiven your sins and remembers them no more. Whatever it is, would you... Would you now tell the Lord, Lord, I heard you. I thank you that you've given me hope today. Whatever it was, say, so, Lord, thank you. I needed hope. Oh, Lord God, I just want you to do in our lives what Paul asked for. Gracious Father, that our lives would overflow with hope, that you would fill us completely with joy and peace as we trust in you. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus. Amen.